sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. This is episode 24. I am taking a little break from my Life in Saudi Arabia series of interviews for this one. I'm absolutely honored to have Dan Savage here today, a man who needs no introduction, a personal hero of mine. He's a sex advice columnist, excellent podcaster. Everyone needs to check out the Savage Lovecast if you don't already listen. He's an author, activist, and so many other wonderful things. Hi, Dan. Hey, how are you? I am so good. Now that I'm talking to you, I'm kind of like blushing and just, oh, I hope I don't <laughs> mess it up. Can't believe uh, I'm talking to Dan Savage. You won't. If anyone's going to mess this interview up, it's going to be me. <laughs> There's always like this hesitation to speak with ex-Muslims. Why is it that we're so... Oh, it is. I would be nervous if we were speaking and you were a full-fledged, fully paid-up Muslim. Um, <laughs> just because, you know, on the left, there's there's kind of a trap that a lot of us are in where we feel as if any criticism of Islam gets us lumped in with Pam Geller. Yes. And silence makes us complicit with the worst aspects of it. Uh and yeah, it's kind of a trap. But I'm, you know, probably going to have diarrhea mouth this morning because uh, I have a little bit of a hangover. I didn't sleep very well last night, so I'm sure I'm going to say something that gets me in trouble with everybody, which is, you know, running the table. Well, that's great. If if you're pissing everyone off, then you're definitely <laughs> doing it right, right? Um, well, we'll see. I feel exactly the same way too. Just being an ex-Muslim, you're kind of sandwiched into this trap permanently, right? Especially if you're liberal in nature, um, mm. and being someone who lives in the West, things other than Islam also concern me. So I care about racism and sexism and misogyny, even in the West. And that gets me lumped in with the social justice warriors from the Islam, anti-Islam camp. So mm -hmm. always screwed. How does one be critical uh, and avoid the Pam Geller trap? It's, it's especially hard now in this um, Trumpian time. Yeah. So yeah, we're speaking a few days before that shit hits that fan. Right, right. And I'm hoping to get this out as soon as possible, but it's possible that maybe the shit will have hit the fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I feel like everything that I've been speaking for um, and being critical of Islam has kind of been taken from me in this past little while because now I really have to be super cautious. Mm -hmm. uh, even just talking about things like slut-shaming in our culture, hijabs, like because there are far-right bigots that are ready to jump on that in an instant. And there are yahoos in the street who are assaulting women who are wearing hijabs. Absolutely. So, and you don't want to fuel that even if when you see it and think deeply about it, it's hard to avoid the interpretation that this is a misogynistic relic of yeah. a, you know, one of the great misogynistic 
imaginary sky friend religions from the Middle East. And Catholicism has its issues and Judaism certainly has its, has its issues and, and manifests some in the exact same way. You know, you have uh, conservative or orthodox Jews refusing to sit next to women on airplanes and yeah. airplanes dominating that misogyny. Uh, and that's a huge, that, you know, that's a problem. And we need to address, be able to address or identify, call out, as the social justice warrior kids might say, sexism and misogyny wherever it manifests. But right now it feels like any effort to call out misogyny or homophobia uh, emanating from Islam land or with Islamic justifications is to pile on to someone who's already being assaulted. Right. Uh, I completely get that. But then when you're trapped uh, in a position where you are you are oppressed by Islam directly and you see people being forced to cover their hair or being slut shamed, uh, then you do feel that it's a duty to speak out against that too. Now, it's like a tightrope all the time. I have to balance it always with anti-Trump comments and anti-white nationalist comments, but I can't mm. completely stop speaking out against the slut shaming of people in my position. Yeah. And I feel, you know, often I feel like a towering hypocrite on this score because, you, you know, I have said publicly that I don't think Christian scientists should be allowed to have children. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think someone who refuses to take their kid to a doctor when that kid is very, very ill uh, and a blood transfusion, say Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. a blood transfusion is what will save that child's life. I mean, maybe that person with those moronic beliefs uh, you know, that they justify by pointing to imaginary sky friends isn't fit to parent. Yeah. And yeah. I have no problem saying that, but that's me as a, someone raised in the Christian tradition, someone raised Catholic, criticizing my fellow Christers. Mm -hmm. That way it's a lot more comfortable to do it, right? But I'm in a position where... Now, because um, by virtue of being ex-Muslim and focusing on this Islam discussion, you generally tend to attract a lot of audience from the right. Now, I've done my best to kind of inoculate myself from this. If anyone's deeply anti-Muslim, they usually don't like what I have to say because I'm always coming from a place of compassion and about not generalizing Muslims, but really mm -hmm. dismantling the idea of Islam at the same time. So the far right-wingers often expose themselves and say, well, what do you mean all Muslims aren't savage? And so then I can mute mm -hmm. them or block them or take away their freedom of speech. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, take away their freedom of speech by blocking them. Right, right. I, I, I don't want to listen to you anymore. That's censorship. You have to listen to me all the time forever. Exactly. You know. And this is one thing that I really admire about you, too. You're not shy about calling out the right. You're critical of religion, and you're not, uh, you know, going to downplay the harms of Islam when I actually talk to you about it, but you're also not shy about calling out the Western right, which I absolutely find a very hard combination of qualities for one person to possess. It's either you're on this team or you're on that team. If you're going to call out right-wing racists in the West, then you're going to be soft on Islam. If you're going to be not soft on Islam, then you're going to not be calling out right-wing racists in the West. But you do all of it. It's great. Well, I, you know, I don't do it enough. Um, 
and I wish I did it more. And maybe chatting with you will guilt me into it. Guilt is a very powerful force in my Catholic life. <laughs> chatting with you will inspire me. Yay. You know, I look at and just to invoke his name is to bring down uh, criticism on my head. You know, I think sometimes Bill Maher has put things inelegantly, uh, but. There's a large chunk of his critique that I think is kind of right on. If they were beheading homosexuals in St. Peter's yeah. Square, we'd be yelling at the Pope every day. We would be yelling, screaming and yelling about Catholicism. And the truth is that, you know, a couple hundred years ago, they were still executing sodomites in Christian countries. Um, and a few decades ago in this country, people were still being locked up for being uh, homosexual and fired from their jobs. So there was there's an evolution that we witnessed in Christian countries for the most part, perhaps not Russia and its recently revived rabid anti-queer mm-hmm. version of Christianity. But this evolution on at least putting up with the existence of queer people, that's recent, you know, where the grand scope of history, pretty recent, that development. And Islam's not going to get there if there isn't any screaming and yelling or criticism directed toward Islam. There's a lot of screaming and yelling and criticism directed toward Christian faith traditions about the treatment of homosexuals and yeah. treatment of queer people, gays and lesbians. And that's what prompted that evolution. It wasn't just one day all these churches woke up and said, you know, maybe we'll be nicer. Mm-hmm. It was one day they woke up and the homophobia they were pimping uh, wasn't selling mm-hmm. quite as In fact, it was beginning to harm them. Uh, and that's what really moved the churches. You know, you see, and I have such respect for Matthew Vines, um, author of God and the Gay Christian, who's really an activist and trying to talk evangelicals out of the corner into which they painted themselves. But you see churches now realizing that the homophobia that they were screaming from the pulpit, it used to only harm queer people. You know, families would disown their queer kids, queer you know, kids who grew up in these churches would have to flee them and flee their communities and flee their families. And what these churches are now seeing is that when the queer kid gets up and leaves, the family gets up and leaves with that queer kid, mm-hmm. that fewer and fewer families are willing to disown that queer kid. Mm-hmm. As you see churches going, all right, we have to figure out how to repackage this homophobia. Uh, not walk away from it. You got the Pope saying, who am I to judge, but not changing any dogma and still saying horrible, shitty things about gay people out of the other side of his mouth and still bashing yeah. anti-gay uh, legislation and anti-gay marriage efforts um, and not moving, say, in Uganda to shut down their anti-gay horseshit, which is pushed, you know, Uganda's a... a overwhelmingly majority Catholic country that keeps trying to pass this execute the gays bill. Mm-hmm. And if the Pope who thinks, you know, who am I to judge would just say, if you vote for this bill, you are excommunicated. Mm-hmm. That would be the end of it. But the Pope yeah. doesn't say that. Yep. Exactly. So, I, in, you know, in my side, you know, in the Christian Catholic chunk of this problem, you've seen this movement, but the movement wasn't, you know, churches thought better of it. Yeah, you have to have that pressure, that external pressure. And the more people that we can get to join, the quicker this will happen. But then people like Trump come along that will put even people who are critical of Islam in an awkward position when it comes to, to criticizing it. So. Yeah, because it's like you're walking up to somebody who's getting, you know, assaulted on a street corner and saying, I don't like your shoes. It, maybe that's not the moment. Not that, you know, the anti-gay uh, and misogynist crap that so many people think is, you know, intrinsic to Islam. Um, and I, I'm talking about Islamists who think it's intrins- intrinsic to Islam. Um, yeah, I'm not comparing that to, like, bad shoe choice. <laughs> it's, it's more <laughs> consequential. Um 
and uh, you know problematic than that. But you know, at this moment, it just feels like what I want to say to you know women when I see women in, in hijabs or or I always get that word wrong. Hijabs. Yeah, hijabs is the headscarf, and niqabs is the face veil. You know, and, you know, I see that out, and I you know, part of me wants to say oh, I'm so sorry, and for that to mean two things: I'm so sorry that this has been done to you. Oh, well, they'll but be I'm so also, pissed just by hearing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm also, but I'm also so sorry that you're going to get grief for this. Yeah. That even, if, even if I regard this as a kind of false consciousness, even if you're making the feminist argument for the veil. Um, Which is non-existent, if we're honest, in my opinion. For people, people attempt it. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's you know, very painful. I, but if I regard it as false consciousness, um, and, and you believe you've arrived there of your own free will, and it's a free choice, all right, I'm sorry for that too. But I'm sorry for the grief you're going to get from assholes. Yeah, who, yeah. If I think it's a false consciousness, I respect your right to... You know, be a Southern Baptist wife who submits joyfully to the leadership. Yeah, you can respect the right. You know, I think I wouldn't do that, and I think that's ridiculous. And I'm sorry you drank so deeply on all that crap. That right, but that's the thing. You're you're at least acknowledging that this is crap, right? So people often conflate the idea of of being against women that are wearing hijabs and being against the concept of hijab. So you can actually be supportive of hijabi women's rights and stand up for them if you're on a bus and you see some asshole attacking someone for uh, wearing a headscarf. I would be the first person to stand up and be like, what the fuck? But Mm -hmm. at the same time, intellectually, my efforts are also concentrated on dismantling this idea that this is something that should continue to be perpetuated. And we even see the left glorifying it now, Time and time again, we've even seen the Shepherd Fairy poster, which has this iconic hijabi woman in a U.S. flag hijab now, um, as some sort of anti-Trump symbol, which I understand, but it's putting me in this position of needing to now, if I'm anti-Trump, to glorify the other stuff that oppresses me. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah, and we saw this with the Orlando uh, Pulse massacre, too. Uh, I wanted to get some of your thoughts on that. A lot of uh, what I heard was, you know, say no to Islamophobia, say no to homophobia. It's like this strange equivalence of one thing that we really need to oppose and one thing that isn't really bad. Like, the word Islamophobia is such a problematic term because... It's like Catholicismophobia. I think Muslimophobia is a problem, but Islam is just like any other vile, misogynistic, homophobic faith system. Why not? Why not criticize it? Maybe Islamophobia is like that Supreme Court justice's famous definition of pornography. You know, when you see it. Yeah, no, I know what people mean by it, but the term itself is misleading because it's protecting Islam, the ideology, and not Muslims, the people. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe Muslimophobia would be more accurate, but to fear or dislike or criticize Islam shouldn't be a problem in our society. No, it shouldn't be. I mean, a religion is basically a great big old idea, um, and ideas should be contested and should be criticized. The problem with Islam, you know, I feel like I sometimes use the term Islamophobia in reference to the knuckle-dragging bigots. And yeah, to anti-Muslim bigotry is what you mean. Right, who don't want to, you know, the, the Shepherd Fairy poster. That right now, you know, I saw that and I was kind of moved by that. Uh, maybe because of 
you know, it came to mind who that would piss off the most. And I like to see those people pissed off because I do think uh, women in hijabs are Americans. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they are. You know, a native born or, or immigrants who've naturalized, um, even if they're immigrants and not naturalized and even undocumented, you know, here you are in America, you're an American. And there are people who want to deny that identity to Muslims. And so to, to mix those two things together in that power, you know, those two powerful visual symbols, the hijab mm-hmm. and the flag, I think, I think is apt, uh, you know, where I've always come down, you know, to jump all the way to abortion on the religious right in the United States and the Christians, I have said to religious conservatives, you know, if you can, you know, persuade, you know, I wrote about in one of my books being in Texas and seeing an anti-choice billboard and being with a friend who blew up about it. I was like, that's fine with me. The anti-choice billboard. Um, that's somebody trying to persuade. And maybe the people who put up that billboard are also trying to legislate, also trying to amend the U.S. Constitution mm-hmm. uh, to ban uh, abortion. I have, and I have no problem condemning that. Mm-hmm. You, using legislative force to, uh, you know, deny people their choice around reproductive freedom, no. But trying to talk someone out of it, that's just... That's argument. That's persuasion. That's free speech. Even the anti-gay stuff. Where mm-hmm. Like you don't have to be gay. It's like all right, I don't have to be gay. Good, you know, I'll give you five minutes to talk me out of it. Good luck. Here we go. <laughs> uh, it isn't going to work. You know, I would desperately try to talk myself out of it when I was fifteen, and I was super fucking motivated. So motivated, I was having sex with women. That's how motivated I was oh. to try to talk myself out of it, and it didn't work then. But I will give you five minutes. I don't have a problem with it. You know, if you want to legislate anti-gay crap, yeah. if you want to. Uh, justify as religious conservatives in the United States used to anti-gay discrimination because it would persuade some of us not to come out or persuade Mm -hmm. those of us who might be able to close our eyes and pretend our wives were Ryan Gosling in the dark (laughs) to do that. uh, That's awful. And I have, and I think that's not persuasion, that's coercion and oppression. Um, but if you want to put up a billboard that says nobody has to be gay, I'm like, all right, <laughs> knock yourself out. That'll hurt some people. You know, if I saw that when I was 14, it probably would have been it nicked me in, in a way. But that's free speech, and people get nicked all the time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there should be we should be able to finesse this where, you know, you don't want to legislate against the hijab, a la France. Of well, that's uh, the burqa. Or the burqa. You don't want to legislate against it because then people are going to cling to it. You want to talk people out of it. You want to have a discourse around how this evolved, what this was for, what this means now. And now, if you're trying to pull it off people, now it means defiance to that kind of bigotry and attempt to control or, or oppress. Right. And that's partially why I'm against, um, you know, blanket bans on burqas as well. But I think that a strategic kind of kind of telling people they have to follow the same rules as everyone else like in a bank if you can't wear a balaclava or a satan mask while getting your money out or at an mm-hmm. airport if you can't um wear a mask the whole time then you shouldn't be able to cover your face the whole time it's just the functional face covering that i think uh we can chip away at these little things and i agree with you that the actual bigots do jump on this stuff so it's very tricky and you have to be careful in how you do it i also oppose blanket bans but i think some chipping away can happen in courtrooms banks maybe schools for children um yeah i agree i agree 
Lots of Muslim countries have actually put bans in place as well for face veil coverings, uh, and they're not doing it out of anti-Muslim bigotry. It's just that this has become a symbol of um, really dangerous, hardline extremist Islam, and people get mad when I say that. Uh, I'm not calling all burqa wearers terrorists. I'm just saying that there are some forms of extremism that are nonviolent as well. And we engage in this in both ways. So sometimes my fellow ex-Muslims say it's okay to, uh, and I was just having a conversation today with a, an ex-Muslim friend who was telling me it's okay to look the other way on the Western rights misogyny or homophobia just as long as they can tackle ISIS and Islam and that's our goal. And I'm like, well, no, that's the same way the left looks the other way on Islam's injustices to piss off the Western right. So it's happening in both directions and some of us are caught in the middle. Mm-hmm. So it's a very hard yeah, position to a, be in. It's a very hard, I I'm aware of just how difficult a position it is to be in. Um, I watched the documentary about ex-Muslims, about an atheist Muslims, and yeah. the, the grief uh, that is visited upon them often by their own families. And all I thought watching that documentary was, it looks like being gay 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, people get killed and stoned. And so mm-hmm. in the Muslim world, it is comparable, I think. I hope I'm not offending anyone, but there are similar dangers attached to it. Um, you were talking about free speech and kind of supporting free speech that you don't even agree with. I'm a big proponent of that as well um, because I come from countries, Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, where free speech is not a thing. Blasphemy laws are in existence and Saudi Arabia is especially anti-free speech. Everything was censored when I was growing up. The words like king, prince, royal were muted out of cartoons. Magazines had black marker all over them. Michael Jackson was censored. It was crazy. Um, So I really think free speech is an important tool, but then people like Milo Yanahopoulos come along. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw you posting about it. And I think people conflate free speech with criticism. So I'm not against his free speech. I'm not trying to legislate against him saying all the assholic things that he does. But I think that exercising your free speech also means exercising criticism and putting pressure on people, which is what I saw you doing. Can, what, what are your thoughts on the rise of these right-wing LGBT figures? Well, as far as I can tell, there's you know the, the most prominent one, practically the only one, is Milo. And it's kind of a shtick that we're familiar with. You know, if you can, as an African-American... Uh, pretend to believe every last little thing the right wing would like you to believe, the sheriff from Milwaukee County, for example, um, and get up there and say Black Lives Matter is a terrorist movement (laughs) and blame um, all of the ills of the African-American community on African-Americans, you will never have to work a day in your life again. Mm -hmm. That You will be rewarded handsomely for that, particularly if you are good at sort of mouthing those arguments. and so you, you see that on the right now as well. But why is someone, you know, why are the Trumpist, Trump assholes embracing Milo, uh, embracing, you know, why is Trump holding up a pride flag for the same reason you see the Pope saying, who am I to judge? Because they need to appeal 
also, the right does, also to people who have queer kids that they don't want to see oppressed. Mm. And so you, you throw out this one symbolic act, Trump holding the pride flag, Trump mentioning gay people uh, in his acceptance speech. And then the idiots, <laughs> dumb fucks, uh, will then say, well, I, I guess I can vote for him and I'm not betraying my gay son or my lesbian daughter mm. voting for him. Even though Pence is his vice president, even though everybody he's appointed to his cabinet is a rant, rabid anti-LGBT bigot, even though his agenda, even though the Republican platform is the most conservative uh, and anti-queer mm-hmm. ever, I can see my way clear to voting for him because of this small symbolic act that gives me a pass. And that's what the right uh, brandishing, uh, and I don't remember his name, but the sheriff from Milwaukee is an African-American mm-hmm. at the convention. Mm-hmm. I, remember, the right I know who you're talking about. Brandishing Milo is all about. And those two folks now will cash in on uh, on that. They'll never have to work an honest day again in their life so long as they continue to espouse uh, and say, well, as a black person, as if that proves, you know, if a black person believes this, then that proves that the Republican Party it hasn't been a racist enterprise for 40 years, that the um, the Southern strategy wasn't actually a thing, that the right is actually more pro-gay because, look, they've embraced Milo, who is calls himself a faggot, which I was doing 25 years ago in my column, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, brags about all the black dick he sucks. And so, right, so obviously he's not a racist. Right, and obviously he's not a racist, and obviously the right isn't anti-gay, because look at this super gay guy that they're worshiping. That said, I don't think that Milo's speeches should, should be shut down, just strategically as a lefty. Yeah. You know, he's, he's coming to Washington State, he's coming to Seattle in just a couple of days, and I've been getting emails ever since it was announced about what my paper intends to do or I intend to do to stop him from speaking here. Yeah. And I just think that you should let him talk and not hand him the video of you showing up to scream at him. Yeah. Uh, and, and hand him the video of, you know, the video that proves that, you know, the left is the censorious ones, that we're the baddies. Yeah. Uh, that people keep playing into his hands mm-hmm. around that. But the problem, though, is that, you know, at some point you're shouting fire in a crowded theater when... Milo gets up at a speech and puts up a picture of a trans person on campus and mocks that person and calls that person mentally ill and calls that person uh, dangerous and a sexual predator, as I believe he did in Milwaukee. That is targeting someone. Mm -hmm. That is likely to get someone or, or may get someone killed uh, or, or assaulted. And then Milo said, well, I never said you should assault her, just like Milo said, right. I never said to call Leslie Jones the N-word or right. to, to pile on. I just, you know, he just pointed at that person knowing that his acolytes and followers would charge in to do the dirty work. It's just like, uh, I think, of, uh, you know, who will rid me of this troublesome priest that someone with a platform saying, oh, this person annoys and bothers me so mm-hmm. much. They don't have to complete the sentence and say, and someone should go beat the shit out of that person or kill that person. That um, that's understood and implied. So there's a point at which Milo is crossing a line into shouting fire in a crowded theater. That said, it, he's so skilled at tiptoeing up to that line most of the time that showing up to scream and yell at him showing up to as i saw in one video you know charge onto the stage and 
menace him, yeah, that's uh, just... threaten to assault him, that helps Milo. That Absolutely. helps spread his message. That helps him get up there then and argue that the left is anti-freedom. Yeah. Which is not true. So, you know, in my dream, you know, if I was running the, the whatever movement in Seattle, instead of showing up at Milo's event to scream and yell or blockade it or shut it down, do a, you know, put on a better event next door. Yeah. And, but and I saw you. The oxygen. I saw you tweet, I think it was to the GoFundMe guy, just to question him. Are you okay with funding this guy or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that in terms of free speech? Is that, that's not crossing a line in terms of trying to censor him or, uh, I don't know. No, because that's bringing to the attention of a, of a business who they're in partnership with mm-hmm. and saying to that business, you know, if you're going to partner with this person, that might cost you my business and, you know, my business and where I choose to take it. And, you know, what I tell other people about where they should take theirs is also a form of speech. Exactly. It's so not being censorious. That's being, you know, that's speaking. Right. <laughs> if you're going to underwrite this. I have a problem with that, and I cannot support you. Uh, you look at the advertiser uh, targeting and now boycott of Breitbart. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not censorship. That's speech. People are saying to these advertisers, whoever you think you're trying to reach by advertising on Breitbart, uh, you're reaching me and pissing me off and making me less likely to buy your products. And advertising right. is about trying to persuade people to buy your goddamn products. And right. if that's what you're trying to do, it's having the opposite effect. Just want to let you know that. That's <laughs> speech. not censorship, that's speech. Yeah, speech comes with consequences, and people don't seem to understand that. Uh, and yeah, they came to... Sarah Palin. Pardon? Oh, Sarah Palin. She's the one who injected into the right this idea that your free speech, you know, into the right wing, she had, uh, injected the idea that your free speech rights are being violated if anybody disagrees with you publicly or calls you <laughs> Yeah, it's so silly. And they're also like the biggest, uh, you know, complainers about identity politics, but then they rush to use it just like Milo. I'm gay. I'm Jewish. I can't be this. I can't be a homophobe. I can't be um, racist if I like black dick. So (laughs) I'm going to reduce all black men to their penises and (laughs) then argue that that makes me not racist. (laughs) Yeah. So. It's funny. There's so much hypocrisy coming from the right right now. Um, and they want their own safe spaces. They want their own, you know, political correctness. You have to be nice to Trump voters. You have to treat them gently. But let's be harsh on the Muslims. Let's be harsh on the leftists. Make them hear it like it is. And the gays. And, yeah. Except Milo. <laughs> Except Milo, who, if you criticize, then you're taking away his freedom of speech. Um I was listening to your last episode about golden showers and germophobia. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I thought it was really interesting because I'm a bit of a germaphobe myself and uh, I'm not into, you know, golden showers or anything like that. But I always think how strange it is that in no other situation would I be okay exchanging bodily fluids and spit. Like even just sharing drinks with people freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sex is fine and it doesn't even cross my mind um, right. There's actually, I, I cited a study in the column I wrote about this that you know, this Dutch study found that arousal trumps disgust yeah that in an aroused state we will do things that in an unaroused state we wouldn't not only wouldn't want to do but would find disgusting mm-hmm. you know if 
it even, it, you know, with somebody I know, my husband walked across the room and said, open your mouth and spat into my mouth. I would be revolted. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, we basically do that when we, you know, are messing around and making out and having sex, yeah. like at least like one glob of spit is going to get into my mouth. And that's just sex. Um, you know, yeah, we, so. are, we are repulsed by that, which we are also drawn to um, and vice versa. And it's, what makes part of what makes sex so interesting and part of what like plays into the idea that a germaphobe could be into piss is that arousal often brings us to the point where we start, you know, doing things that seem contrary to our character or we violate our public personas. We transgress against ourselves, not just against our religious traditions or the culture, but against our, ourselves as we have constructed them. Um, by doing something that seems so crazy. And that's not to say that all germaphobes are into piss. No, uh, no. <laughs> or all, you know, the, the cliche is the powerful master of the universe CEO dude who goes to see a dominatrix and crawls and begs and has his ass spanked and, um, you know, gives up all his power at that moment. Well, not all CEOs are into that, but enough are mm -hmm. that that's a cliche. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's the same thing with, you know, I'm such a germaphobe. That's not... Uh, prima facie evidence that you couldn't possibly be into piss as Trump suggested in his goddamn press conference. <laughs> That's actually, you know, from my world and with the data and research at my disposal, that's one sign that you very well could be into piss. Yeah, yeah. And I found, I found it very strange that he singled Hillary out for going to the bathroom and pointed out how disgusting it was. That was just so strange. To me, that actually points maybe to him actually being more into piss because he noticed Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> you know, if you're into this thing, uh, you're into it when someone that you're attracted to is doing it or about it. Um, when you have to contemplate someone you find revolting doing that thing, it's even more revolting. Yeah. You know, that's that person that you hate engaged in that act that you find alluring when someone who looks like Melania does it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so his, his sort of, you know, that performance of disgust, uh, again, is evidence that he are the president-elect very well, or president, at the, when this uh, goes out very well, maybe into piss. And that's something we all get to think about for the next four years. Oh, I'm not even American, and I, I'm so sad for you, really. Uh, I'm I'm so sad for me too. Can I ask, can I ask you one question mm -hmm. before you, you let me go, or I let you go? Uh, for many years, I was kind of aggressively anti-Catholic. Not in you know I wasn't throwing cans of cream corn through stained glass windows or anything. Um, but you know I would go to a family wedding or family funeral and not kneel and not stand and not murmur at the appropriate points, even though I knew when to do that. Um, and then at a certain point, you know, I met friends who were Jewish when I made a bunch of friends who were Jewish when I moved to Seattle and knew them to be bacon eating atheists who would then, you know, do Rosh Hashanah, do Yom Kippur to affirm their cultural identities as mm -hmm. Jews. And that just clicked for me. Like suddenly I could go to a wedding or a family funeral and kneel and stand and murmur at the appropriate moments. And I was able to embrace my cultural identity as a Catholic. And part of the joy of embracing my cultural identity as Catholic, um, modeled on my Jewish friends' embrace of their cultural identities as Jews, is how much it pisses off 
practicing Catholics like Brian Brown and Bill Thomas, because I will call myself a Catholic now, um, just as my Jewish friends who are atheists call themselves Jews. Mm -hmm. Drives them bananas because I'm not, you know, I'm a cocksucker and uh, pro-gay marriage and pro-choice. And so how, how dare I call myself a Catholic? And I wonder if I were in the same sort of position uh, as a Muslim and if I were a woman, whether I would wear the hijab just to piss off, you know, to identify culturally as a Muslim, uh, as, a, as an act of defiance, particularly mm-hmm. here in the West, and also then to piss off the practicing Muslims and believers who view that symbol as not something that I, as an atheist or uh, should, 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 should access or, 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 or make my own. Well, I think if you're declaring yourself an atheist and then wearing the hijab, it becomes very different uh, as what it is when people wear it for religious reasons. So I think that might be a different kind of reappropriating it. And some people have done that with the hijab uh, in different ways. They're not atheists necessarily, but there are some liberal-ish Muslims, who, hipster Muslims, who will even decorate the hijab with adornments, and which I always find really strange. There was a hijabi Lolita scene where you dress kind of like a baby doll little girl and cutesy and wear sheer stockings but then you have a hijab on and you're wearing like a tight corset and it just kind of makes no sense in terms of modesty so -hmm. if you're doing it honestly like yeah you know what I'm only putting this on to piss people off then go for it but if you're saying at the same time that I want to be modest then who are you kidding Mm -hmm. because I know many Muslim women like that they're all about the modesty in the hijab and they're technically fully covered, but they're wearing PVC pants um, that shows everything. Yeah, I find that fascinating. I find that, that that clash really interesting. And maybe that's a point at which to, you know, a pressure point uh, to, to exploit in, the, in these arguments, these discussions around persuasion and around the evolution of Islam and whether there is going to be an enlightenment or not. And it's weird for Westerners to say Islam needs an enlightenment at a point at which we seem to be in the West sliding back into authoritarianism, (laughs) um, into a new dark ages. You know, last year, if you had said that to me, I would be like, oh, come on. But now I can completely see it. Interracial couples getting yelled at on the street. People openly in the atheist scene are advocating like you know iq racial differences and you know different races or different species and um what else there's like the whole mra movement that overlaps with the islamist beliefs on misogyny like consent and marriage and there's no such thing as date rape there's no such thing as marital rape so these are all strange things for me to witness in a in a society that I came to thinking, oh, finally, I'm out of this crap. But now mm-hmm. we're going back to it. And how do I oppose both? Like I have like almost no allies, right? Um, it's easy to get allies if you if you want to side with the right wing Westerners as an ex-Muslim. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to do that. I can't do that in good conscience. I know some people that find that route easier and I don't blame them necessarily because this is talking to Fox News might be the only way you'll get heard. But that's just not something I can do. But then the left wing doesn't want to hear me either. So what what do I do? How do I 
um, promote LGBT rights, women's rights in my community mm-hmm. without any allies. How do I do that, Dan Savage? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I had a good glib answer for you. You're exposing one of the uh, shady truths about the advice racket. Um, people ask us, you know, ask me why, how it is that I have all the answers. And I always say, because I only print the questions I have answers for. <laughs> well, I, I mean, who could think hum- it was humanly possible to answer everything? Um, I think but your answers left, are great. The left has got to, got to embrace not just the religious minorities, not just Muslims who are practicing and believers, but also the rights of people who left Islam and critique Islam uh, as the left has critiqued other religious traditions. Yeah. It is a kind of paternalistic uh, reverse backflip, bank shot, uh, racist double standard to not engage in it. Yeah, then you're just giving Trump the opportunity to be the only voice saying this stuff and his fans being the only voices talking about it. It's deeply paternalistic, but it's just such a corner that you're painted into right now. And and I know I feel trapped. I read these terrific, a couple of terrific essays after the Pulse massacre uh, by, you know, one of this guy who made a documentary about being gay on the um, Hajj. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one. And he wrote this essay about how he is afraid of other people who are Muslims because the homophobia is just so violent and unchecked and uncriticized even by the left. Yeah. And I read that essay and thought, oh my God, that's really brilliant. And I saved it. And then I think I retweeted it, but I hesitated because it's just like, oh, how much grief am I going to get? And here I was like hesitating, retweeting this gay Muslim practicing gay Muslims critique of and despair about the the lack of solidarity for fear that I would be called an Islamophobe. Yeah, as I have been <laughs> frequently. Ah, oh, well, you know, as we said, that term that term is just so unhelpful. You're not a Muslimophobe, and that's the only thing that matters. Being annoyed or critical of Islam doesn't really it shouldn't at all be a problem that anyone is worried about. Yeah. Are you a Catholicism-a-phobe? I am called that. (laughs) I'm called rabidly anti-Catholic by Brian Brown and Bill Donahue, which is hilarious because, you know, Christmas just came and went and Terry and I, the rabid anti-Catholic, see, they called us both that. (laughs) We have an open house on Christmas Day uh, and have all of our neighbors in and we live in a really Catholic neighborhood by Seattle's best Catholic grade school. And so a lot of our neighbors are Catholic and that's how we, we attack our Catholic neighbors with carbs and champagne on Christmas morning. Oh, that's <laughs> truly evil. That is Catholic evil. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, um, but I know you're a very busy guy. Yeah. It's great talking to you and I'm, I'm such an admirer and you've been on my podcast and I'd love to have you back online again. That would be great. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, it was such a huge honor to speak with you. You've been an inspiration uh, since I don't know when. Like I, I, yeah, I was reading you in university, and you know, you have fans in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> That's crazy. I actually did get a, an email 
um, from someone saying they listened to me in Pakistan and if they got caught, they would be in so much trouble. Yeah, the prime minister who was assassinated in Pakistan actually tweeted about me writing like Dan Savage um, and actually risked a lot of criticism because I started off writing about sexuality in Pakistan. So he was like, oh, we have a Dan Savage. I know it's a very, you know, I should not be compared to you. Um no, no, you should. Ever, uh, that honors me. Don't worry about it. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, so that is like a, a big time politician in Pakistan tweeting about how he admires you and he risked so much to do that. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. We'll have to look him up. Well, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. 